You're listening to the Physics Buzz Podcast. Welcome to the Physics Buzz Podcast. I'm Calla Cofield. Today's episode, When Black Holes Collide. Joan Centrella is a member of a very small community of physicists. Those who study black hole mergers. That's an instance where two black holes get close enough to pull each other in and merge together. For now, Centrella and her colleagues can only model the black hole mergers in computer simulations. And up until 2005, they couldn't even do that. Around the world, scientists working on this problem saw their models crash before the big collision. Centrella was part of a team that overcame that hurdle. Now, as the field begins to blossom, Centrella and her colleagues are looking forward to the launch of new gravitational wave detectors that might give them observational data to work with. I talked with Centrella at the APS April meeting about her work looking for the darkest objects in the universe. I'm Joan Centrella, and I work at NASA on merging black holes. Well, to begin then, why don't you tell our audience what a black hole is? Because I think everyone has heard of a black hole, but maybe people who aren't scientists don't know exactly what that means, or they hear a lot of things and don't actually know what it is. Um, Specifically because I think it's interesting that you're talking about black holes coming together, they're objects, they're not actually holes in in the sense of like a hole that you would dig, they're actually objects in space. Okay, so a black hole is formed, maybe that's the easiest way of looking at it, a black hole is formed when matter comes together and is compressed under gravity to a point where it becomes infinitely compressed at a point. So ordinary matter is held up against gravity by various kinds of forces. But if there's too much matter, then the total gravity of all that matter will overcome those forces and it will just collapse down on itself. And there's nothing we know in the universe that can stop that collapse, and that's when it becomes a black hole. You say infinitely. Infinity sounds like something that's actually sort of impossible. How do you think of that in terms of the real physical world? So um, what I'm really getting at here is that the density of the matter increases to an infinite point. Density is the amount of matter in a particular region. So imagine that you had a big loaf of of fluffy white bread and you took a handful of that bread and it fills your hand and now you're going to squeeze that bread down. You've got the same amount of mass, same, same amount of bread, but you're squeezing it, squeezing it, squeezing it and its density is increasing. So if you were to squeeze that hard enough and you could increase the density infinite, then it would disappear into a point. That's what I was trying to get at with the um, black hole. So that's when everything gets condensed down and it it disappears into a point. But black holes are are actually larger than a point. In fact, they're often larger than the sun. So that's right. So when we talk about a black hole, uh, usually we're talking about the event horizon. So the event horizon can be thought of as the surface of the black hole, although if you have a black hole out there someplace in space, there's no actual physical surface. There's nothing there. There's just space surrounding this infinite density thing we call a singularity. But the event horizon is a region in space. We call it a horizon because it's a region of no return. We believe that nothing can ever go faster than the speed of light. And if you fall into a black hole then to escape from that black hole, to get out past the event horizon, once you fall into it, you have to go faster than the speed of light. 
And so we can't do that, and that's why we call it a black hole, because anything can go in, but nothing can, can come out. Give me a general idea of just what happens when two black holes, if you've, as you've just described them, actually come together. So when, when black holes merge, the kind of black holes we're talking about are astrophysical black holes. So these are out in the universe, and they're in binary systems, which means that they're in orbit about each other. And the black holes are emitting gravitational waves. The gravitational waves are ripples in space-time curvature, and as these black holes orbit around each other, they cause the space-time around them to develop these waves. Like you would if you threw a rock in a pond, you would see waves of water coming out. Well, the black holes stir the space-time, and they cause these waves of gravity to come out. These waves of gravity take energy away. And when the black holes lose energy to these gravitational waves, the black holes get closer together and closer together and closer together. And eventually they get so close together that they fall right together, sort of into each other's laps. And at that point, their event, event horizons merge. So you go from having two horizons, where you have two black holes, and then at some point they touch and you form one black hole and you have one single horizon. When two black holes merge, do they get bigger? Do they get stronger? So uh, it gets bigger and it gets very distorted. So when, when two black holes merge, the event horizons come together, and the, the total event horizon is bigger than an individual event horizon, and it's also very lumpy and distorted. And uh, the idea is that those distortions on this black hole, this newly formed bigger black hole. Those distortions also generate these waves in space-time curvature, and they cause the black hole to radiate more gravitational waves. And we call that process the ring down because it's like what happens when you strike a bell. So a bell has a nice, what we call an equilibrium shape, a nice simple shape, and if you hit it, with a metallic object or something hard, then you will slightly change that shape. And uh, the distortions in the bell then will travel out as sound waves. That's how a bell rings. This, the distortions are sound waves, and the sound waves will travel away from the bell, will hear the sound waves, and eventually the bell will take its equilibrium shape again and stop ringing. That's what happens with the black hole. These distortions travel out, but not as sound waves. They travel out as gravitational waves. And eventually, that very distorted new black hole is going to settle down into a nice, smooth, simple, rotating black hole. So are you learning new things about black holes just uh, doing your research on, on mergers? Yes. Uh, in fact, this final merger where the black holes actually become, the two become one, in that process, uh, we didn't know what was going on in that process until fairly recently. And that's because if you want to find out about it, you have to solve Einstein's equations of general relativity without any approximations or any simplifications at all. And that can only be done by solving them on really large computers. And for a long time, uh, many years, our community tried to do that. And it turns out that the computer programs just couldn't do the job, and they kept crashing, and they kept crashing. And people worked very hard for more than a decade. And in 2005, we were able to get the solution to what happens. And so it's been a very long time coming. And the new results are very interesting to people. Um, mainly, One of the main things they're interested in is what the gravitational waves look like. They're interested in what the gravitational waves look like because we have these gravitational wave detectors. And LIGO, for example, is already operating in the U.S., and it will observe black holes. And there's also a plan 
to build a detector that will fly in space called LISA, and that will observe really, really large black holes. So the people who build these detectors want to know what the waveforms look like. And there's another thing that they're very interested in, which is what happens to that final black hole. It turns out that when they start to come together, if they don't have the same mass or if their spins are different, then the final black hole is going to get kicked. And this is like with target practice, shooting a gun, and the bullet goes out of the gun, and the gun recoils back. And that's because momentum is conserved. So when the bullet goes out, it carries momentum in one direction, but momentum always has to be the same, and so you have to have an equal and opposite reaction in the opposite direction. Same thing happens when the black holes merge if they're not symmetrical. Uh, the gravitational waves carry momentum in one direction more than in the other direction, and that means that the black hole that forms at the center is going to have to recoil or kick in the opposite direction of where the, most, where the main gravitational wave goes. Um, that's very in interesting to astrophysicists because if the kick is big enough, you might actually kick that black hole out of the galaxy. You might actually have a black hole sailing through space. You might, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and so is that a new idea that after modeling these binary systems, you, your team realized this could happen? Well, actually, this is a fairly old idea. Um, it's been around for a couple of decades, the idea that black holes would have a kick if they merged. But people didn't know how to calculate the magnitude of the kick until the community, the numerical relativity community, was able to solve the merger. So this is something you have to do on those big computer programs. And uh, our group and the other groups in the community finally managed to do that. And now we're able to get the, the velocity of the kicked black hole accurately. So in your plenary session last night, you talked about this, making that breakthrough mm -hmm. with the code. Was that something that just took time, or was there some, you know, secret to it that you figured out? Oh, it's, it's actually a pretty interesting story. The numerical relativity community worked for many years making what we would call very slow and incremental progress. We had these very puzzling instabilities, and it's, it's like, you know, slapping one down and then another one just pops up. And so that went on for a long, long time, and many people were involved in that. And in 2005, three groups achieved the very important goal of actually getting the merger and being able to calculate it accurately. And the first person to do this was Franz Pretorius, and he's now at Princeton. And he was able to get those two black holes to merge with no crashing codes, and he was the first person to do that. It's very interesting because Franz used techniques that were very different from what everybody else used. And so when Franz came out with his results, people said, hmm, Franz has the magic bullet. We need to write our code the way Franz writes his code. And everybody tried to do that except for two groups, one in Brownsville, University of Texas at Brownsville, and the other at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center, our group. And our two groups, independently and without each other knowing, were pursuing the same approach. And we came up pretty much at the same time independently with a different way of doing the problem that worked just as well as Franz's worked. So many people in the community had codes that were based on the older traditional methods that weren't working. And Franz's methods were completely different. Our group and the group at Brownsville, right about the same time, came up with a way of making these more traditional codes work just as well as Franz's codes. And that had a huge impact because there were many of these codes in the community that with a little bit of a tweak using the methods that we discovered, all of a sudden their code started working. And that's one of the reasons we have such a wonderful time in numerical relativity now because everybody 
in the world is able to calculate and there's a lot of competition and a lot of progress is being made. Normally things on such a large scale take a very long time. The time scale is also extended, but okay. how long is the time scale for two black holes actually merging? Uh, that depends on when you want to start asking. Let's look at the very largest scales, the very largest black holes. So the massive black holes live at the centers of galaxies, mm -hmm. and when the galaxies themselves start to merge, eventually the black holes inside the galaxies will come together and start to merge. That process can take a very long time, many hundreds of millions mm -hmm. of years. And people are doing a lot of work trying to understand that very important regime and the very important types of physics that goes on there. The kinds of simulations that we do happen at the very end of that process when the black holes are very, very close together and just the last few orbits. And so those last few orbits, if you have black holes that are massive black holes, then the last few orbits and the merger is going to take about an hour or two. So the last merger is, is very, very quick, but these things have been merging for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. But that, that's an unbelievably quick conclusion yeah. to an unbelievably long yes, process. Yes, yes, it is. So you sort of mentioned it, but I, I was going to ask under what circumstances two black holes would merge. And black holes are normally at the center of galaxies, so that's one instance. We have good evidence for black holes on a vast range of scales. So the really biggest ones are at the centers of galaxies, and I just described that. Um, those are called massive black holes. There might be what we call intermediate mass black holes, and these would be maybe a hundred or a thousand times the mass of the sun. We're not as confident about their existence as we are about the massive black holes. These intermediate mass black holes could exist and they could form in dense star clusters like globular clusters. And then we have uh, very good evidence for smaller black holes and by small I would mean maybe five or ten times the mass of the sun. So we know about those from X-ray binaries and so X-ray binaries are formed from a black hole orbiting with a regular star. And this regular star, we call it the donor star because gas from that star is being sucked over by the gravity of the black hole into orbit around the black hole. And it forms a disk that we call an accretion disk. And the, the gas in that accretion disk gradually spirals in and falls into the hole. And on its way down, it glows in the X-rays. So we can see these in the x-rays, and there are a number of these known in the galaxy. And uh, we have good evidence that that's what's at the heart of them is the black hole. But a black hole-black hole binary formed from two black holes that are five times the mass of the sun would be dark. Because if they started out with an accretion disk, it would eventually, one or both black holes would eat the accretion disk, and then there'd be nothing to make it shine. So then we would not be able to... You won't see it. it. You won't, well, you won't see it with a regular telescope because there's no visible light, there's no x-rays coming out, but you could see it with a gravitational wave telescope because they still, even though they're dark, they're still going to be perturbing that space-time and you can still detect the gravitational waves from them. And that's one of the things that LIGO was wanting to do. Right. So that was my next question is, how have we seen black hole collisions and maybe what are the hopes for seeing them with these new instruments? So as, as of yet, LIGO has not yet made a detection. These black hole binaries that LIGO is sensitive to are fairly rare phenomena. So unless we're very, very fortunate and we happen to find one of these formed very close, we're going to have to wait a few more years for the advanced instrument to come out. The advanced LIGO is, should be taking data around 2014 or 2015, and we should be seeing some signals then. 
Uh, Lisa is going to take longer to build, and when it is flying, we should see lots of them. There are many, many of these black holes, the, the massive ones, and we should see a lot of those. What about with uh, traditional telescopes? Is there anything we can detect? So uh, with traditional telescopes, we just said that these little black holes, these 10, 5 to 10 solar mass black holes, are dark. Mm -hmm. But the bigger ones, the ones that are at the centers of galaxies, could be bright in that there might be some gas around there that's glowing. We know that there's a lot of gas and stars at the centers of galaxies, and we think that the massive black hole that's in each galaxy, and in, and in fact the one that's in our galaxy, we think that there's a lot of accretion material around it, this disk where the gas is swirling around and falling into the black hole. And we can see that in um, x-rays and, and in infrared and various other kinds of, of radiation. So many people are thinking now that when the black holes merge, there should also be some gas around and that we might be able to see the x-rays from that. And in particular, that's the project that our group has just started working on. We don't have any results to show yet, but it looks promising that there's going to be some interesting signals coming out. And that would be very exciting because to be able to see them with gravitational waves and with regular telescopes would be very exciting. For our group, this project of whether you can see these black holes with electromagnetic radiation is one of our top interests right now. It's a, something that astrophysicists are interested in. It's something that we're very interested in. Uh, so that's what we're working hard on now. There are many other things that, that are going on in this field. One effort is to be able to calculate the gravitational waveforms accurately enough so that they can be used for data analysis. So when people, when, say the LIGO scientists or the LISA scientists, want to know whether they have detected a black hole, they, they go to the detector output and they want to have a copy of what the black hole merger should look like to compare it with the detector. The detectors have noise in them, and so it may not be easy to find that signal, but if they know what they're looking for, it makes it much easier. Mm -hmm. That's called template matching. So you have a black hole template, and then you try to match it and see if that template exists in that data stream. And they're very excited now that we are able to give them waveform templates for the merger, because the merger is supposed to be the strongest part of the signal. But until a few years ago, they didn't know what it looked like. Now we're calculating these templates for them, and it's starting to make an impact on the experimental side, and that's very exciting. That's all for the Physics Buzz podcast. If you'd like to know more about black holes, Centrella's research, LIGO, and LISA, check out some of the links posted with this podcast at physicsbuzz.physicscentral.com.